Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We already know that Saturday's the biggest game ever in Sanford Stadium. And if you want to add a little more spice to all of this, then we have a chance to do that. And here's what I think is really cool. And I think at some point I'm going to do something sort of video related to this this week. Is that the fun thing about college football is, is that the coaches and the players are actually on the field responsible for the outcome. But there is no doubt, there is no doubt that those of us who are fans, you who will be participating in the game as a fan, like you do have a role in all of this. And we do know, I mean, Kirby Smart said this last year, and we talked about that earlier this week, that when Georgia played Arkansas last season, that Kirby Smart credited fans themselves for creating 10 points there that day, that the hostile environment that Arkansas found itself in made it easier for Georgia to block a punt, get a touchdown. And, and suddenly Georgia has this big lead, and they coast with 37 nothing win against an Arkansas team that's really pretty good. When the game is over, you know, the head coach of Georgia, who is as business and sort of buttoned up and kind of like locked in as any coach can be, more than happy to say, hey, it wasn't just us that did this. It wasn't just me, the coach, the players on the field. The fans were a part of this too. The fans helped Georgia get an easy win that day. And if you think about that, that's kind of a cool thing is that you're not just a spectator to all this, that you're actually a participant in what goes on. And I think the invitation to be a part of that, that Kirby Smart has so willingly extended, I just think that makes college football really fun. I think that in, in a roundabout way, it's one of the ways why we like the sport so much, that we're not just watching this, we are actively involved in it. And uh, on Saturday, that gets to be true again. And by the way, as a way of motivating you to do what needs to be done on Saturday. For all of you who are paying 1000 bucks to be in the stadium or you, somebody offered you $1,000, but you didn't want to relinquish those tickets, you wanted to be there and be a part of this, you wanted to kind of be in the center of it all on Saturday, let me give you a little bit more motivation here for a moment to go out and do just that. Let me give you a little spice on all of this to kind of just sort of stir the pot a little bit more. Admittedly, I'm telegraphing my actions here. I am only giving this to you because it's red meat. I'm only giving this to you because I want to make you mad. I'm only giving this to you because I want to get you, you know, just as frothing at the mouth as you can possibly be for what needs to happen on Saturday. And even if you're not going to be in the stadium, because let's face it, you know, an audience the size of ours, most of you want, uh, still, wherever you are, sit on your couch, sit in a bar somewhere, sitting on a back deck somewhere, wherever you are, I, I want to create the right level of emotion for you too, because you can send some good vibes in Georgia's direction. Not quite so sure scientifically how all that works, but some somehow some way if all the uh, sort of wavelength and the vibes from Georgia fans are all pointing the same direction even those that are not in the stadium hey maybe that kind of <laughs> maybe that kind of works out a little bit too I don't quite have the experimentation to prove that but let's just assume that's true here for a moment so with all of this in mind with me this is me actually something I don't do a, tip, uh, a, a lot very much I am actually trolling you right now. I am going to show you something for the sole purpose of making you mad in the hopes of getting the response I want to get from you. I don't troll my own audience. It's probably not a very good business plan over the course of the long haul. But today, I am letting you know right now, I am showing you this just to troll you because I want a response from you. Eric Ainge is a former Tennessee quarterback. does a radio show uh, there in Knoxville of like the former SEC quarterbacks who are working full-time in the media he's about the only one I know of at all that's never kind of gotten a call up to the SEC network in any form or fashion which probably tells you everything you need to know but uh nonetheless uh Eric Ainge on Twitter last night had some opinions to share about Georgia fans in light of what's going to happen on this particular uh, Saturday. And much like, was it Brandon Council, the Auburn offensive lineman the other day, who was like, we're going to come in, we're going to dominate them from the start, we're going to be a SWAT team, or whatever it was that he said. And you were left to conclude, wait, did Kirby Smart pay this guy to say this about Auburn? Because it couldn't have worked out much better for Georgia had uh, Council been on the uh, Georgia staff. I think you're kind of left to wonder, wait, did Eric Ainge uh, – <laughs> Did Kirby put him up to this? Because if you want to get Georgia fans absolutely at the fever pitch you need them to be at, what Eric Ainge says is perfect for that. You may have seen this by now, but let me read this tweet to you. Eric Ainge on Twitter saying, Playing between the hedges is overrated. It's not that loud, and it's definitely not intimidating. It's nothing like playing in Neyland. 
Vols will be just fine in Athens. So that's Eric Ainge, former Tennessee quarterback. And, you know, clearly he's just saying this to get attention. We all understand that. But we're going to give him the attention. We're going to give him this attention, as I said before. I'm going to use his troll tweet to troll you because I want you to be even madder about going into Saturday. And even if you're not going to be in the stadium, I still want your vibes, uh, you know, with sort of a game face on type mentality. We're doing all of this for a very specific purpose here. I am trying to stir the pot as much as I possibly can because I want Sanford Stadium to be a house of horrors on Saturday. And if I have to go out and get uh, an old-timey quarterback on Twitter saying, back in my day, we were actually beating Georgia, uh, and the, the fans weren't very loud back then, if that's what it takes to get you where I need you to be, where you yourself want to be, then let's just use everything we have at our disposal to be able to get that done. Because that's what this kind of reminds me of, is, is what I sort of alluded to there a moment ago. Like, we just know this. This is objectively true. Tennessee fans have been checked out for a good number of years. Uh, you can look at the attendance at Neyland Stadium for a long time. And listen, honestly, if, if if Georgia was as bad as Tennessee has been for as many different failed and disgraced former coaches as they've had, if, if that was the case, there'd probably be some Georgia fans that would check out too. I'm not saying that Tennessee was uniquely particular in the fact that some of their fans kind of went hunting on fall Saturdays as opposed to uh, you know going to college football games. I'm not saying they're the only ones who have responded that way, but a good number of Tennessee fans for a long time had kind of checked out on their program. And I think that you see a little bit of a, uh, what is it, like a logical fallacy here or just sort of a factual error here on the part of Tennessee fans. Now that they are checking back in, I think they are assuming that the world is as they left it. Like the last time they paid attention to college football, maybe Sanford Stadium wasn't a house of horrors. Maybe it wasn't all that intimidating. Honestly, I don't know that it was or it wasn't. 2004 is a long time ago. Uh, That's back when Eric Ainge was playing. 2006 was kind of a long time ago. That's back when Eric Ainge is playing. A lot of our audience wasn't really old enough to go to games back then. So who's to say what Sanford Stadium was like in 2004 or 2006 when Eric Ainge was playing in that stadium But I know what it's like in 2021, and I've seen what it's been like so far in 2022, and I've seen what it's been like so far in the Kirby Smart era. In fact, the record of wins and losses for Georgia at home over the course of the last several years, I think, do a pretty good job of telling the tale of what Sanford Stadium is right now, what playing between the hedges is like right now. So maybe Eric Ainge is right. I'm not willing to stipulate one way or another if he is or isn't. Maybe Eric Ainge is right when he says, back in my day, you know, Sanford Stadium wasn't all that I- impressive or intimidating or whatever else. That's water under the bridge now, one way or another. But for a lot of these Tennessee fans who've been checked out for a while, this isn't the same old Georgia that you remember. Back when you had Philip Fulmer and back when you were legitimately a fixture going to SEC championship games, even way back in sort of the, you know, uh, you know, old-timey days, uh, BCS national champions in 1998. Back then, Tennessee was a big-time program. At that time, Georgia kind of wasn't. Georgia probably wasn't fully punching in its weight class the way that it probably should have been. But a lot has changed since Tennessee was last relevant, and I think a lot of these Vols fans are going to be reminded of that coming up on Saturday, which leads me once again to Kirby Smart's challenge to all of you. We gave this to you on Monday. Smart said if you can talk on Sunday – That means you didn't yell loud enough on Saturday. You took it seriously then. Now that this former Vol here is kind of rubbing your face in it, uh, hopefully you'll take it even more seriously. And we'll give you some words of Kirby challenging you one more time to affect the outcome of this game on Saturday. Here's Kirby from Monday. Our guys are excited and looking forward to a top matchup. Um, in Sanford Stadium. I know uh, our fan base will be loud and proud. I want to challenge our fan base to be, I mean, everybody talks about the Notre Dame game, but we want it to be louder than that. We want them to be there earlier than that. We had some great matchups last year here at home, and I thought they really affected uh, the game um, each time we had a big matchup. So we'll need them again and uh, need them to be ready to go. He needs you again. You gave it to him last year. You gave it to him a couple of weeks ago against the Auburn game. He gave you credit for that. And now he needs you again. And knucklehead former Vol quarterback says you're not capable of doing it. Knucklehead Vol quarterback says you don't want to do it. That You don't want it bad enough. That, 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 that Sanford Stadium between the hedges can only dream of being as impactful uh, of a stadium as what Neyland Stadium is. That's where real college football gets played. What is Tennessee's record at home over the course of these last few years? Doesn't matter. That's not that facts aren't a part of this discussion. Eric Ainge says, nah, Neyland Stadium is where things are intimidating. That's where you're scared to play. 
How has Georgia done at Neyland Stadium over the course of the last however many trips? The only thing at, at, at Neyland Stadium that seems to intimidate Georgia is the cow pasture they call a football field. That's the only thing that seems to intimidate Georgia about playing at Neyland Stadium. But nonetheless, facts aren't a part of this discussion. Eric Ainge, who if you're old enough, you may remember a long time ago playing at Tennessee, he says, ah, oh, there's nothing to worry about playing between the hedges. Tennessee's not scared at all. I mean, to me, that's a direct challenge to you as a Georgia fan to give them something to be scared of, to create the kind of atmosphere on Saturday that shows just how tough a place to play Sanford Stadium has been in recent years. Yeah, it's a pretty campus, and yeah, it's a fun tailgate, and yeah, the downtown is unprecedented, and a lot of things about Knoxville are kind of a dump, including the the goalposts they dumped into the river the other day. Yeah, that may all be true, that that all they really have is this erector set of a stadium that they have, and Athens got a lot more going for it. But that doesn't mean the atmosphere can't be hostile. And on Saturday, I think Eric Ainge is going to find out how wrong he already knows that he is. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is uh, Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Breda Pest Management. Hopefully don't troll you a lot, but in that particular case, I feel like it was for a good cause. So uh, glad to have you with us here. And whether you check in on video, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, or 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, run the Radio at noon, of course, on Athens Sports Radio 96, the ref, and as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world famous dognation.com. We are just really happy to have you with us today. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pass Management for making it all possible. You know, Breda Pass Management, speaking of being between the hedges and speaking of a bunch of uh, pests trying to invade on Saturday, you know, in this case, I'm not just talking about Vols fans, I'm talking about like termites and things like that, because let's face it, in Georgia, even for a pristine, a pristine structure like Sanford Stadium, Termites are just a fact of life, and your home, it's the same way. In Georgia, you have to have that termite protection. You kind of already know that. Well, guess what? Breda Pest Management is the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. They're protecting Sanford Stadium. They're protecting the other UGA athletic venues, including Stegman Coliseum last night, hosting the uh, Georgia scrimmage uh, basketball opener there. They're protecting all these venues. And they can provide the same level of protection for you because if you're watching the game from Sanford Stadium on Saturday, you look down there on that football field, you realize on a surface the size of that field, there's room for like millions and millions of termites. And so if that's how much space they could kind of conquer in a football field, imagine those silent destroyers, what they could do in your home there as well. And if you're getting your termite protection, your pest control protection from some sort of fly-by-night company or some sort of you know company that doesn't have the resources of Breda Pest Manager, you're probably not getting the expert care that you could be getting, and you're definitely probably paying too much for that service because what Breda Pest Management has is a legacy of success here in our area. They've been doing business in the 1970s, got more than 100 employees. Uh, as I said before, they're the official pest control provider of UG Athletics, and all that strength once they want to leverage that for your benefit and they want to give you an opportunity to make the switch to Breda Pest Management and save money instantly. That's right. It's like your own NIL deal almost. When you switch from your current fly-by-night company that's probably sent you that letter in the mail that says your cost of service is about to go up, when you make the switch from them to Breda Pest Management, you're going to save money instantly. It's going to put more money in your pocket. So make sure you check them out, BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A bradapest.com for a lot more on that good to have breda pest management with us here today uh on dog nation daily we're going to catch up with mike griffith here coming up in just a moment uh mike obviously uh on the scene there in knoxville giving us the sights and sounds from the enemy side of things before the uh, game for uh georgia and the vols on saturday before that they want to go around the doghouse last night college football playoff released its first top 25 ranking of the year we were on video last night to discuss this and I don't mind confessing this. I love this stuff. And you see the uh, top 10 last night, Tennessee uh, at number one, Ohio State at two, Georgia at three, Clemson at four, Michigan at five. A little bit of a drama related to the uh, Clemson-Michigan thing. We'll get more into that later on. Bama six, TCU seven, Oregon eight, USC nine, LSU 10. We'll do more of kind of what's dramatic about some of that a little bit later on in the show. But just generally speaking, I love these playoff debates. Even the kind of like, intramural stuff right now to begin all of this because it doesn't get really serious until the very end but I could have a debate about the college football playoff rankings anytime I just think it's kind of fun to do it's a way for college football fans to sort of show their love for the sport in terms of how they debate it all and I think from the perspective of last night I think that you do have some takeaways here for Georgia here for a moment I think there are some things that could be meaningful for Georgia based on the playoff top 25 from last night. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that are being said by this. Let me start with Boo Corrigan, the 
Playoff Selection Committee Chairman. He is the Athletic Director at NC State. And he talked last night briefly about why Tennessee and not Georgia was the number one team in the country. This is Boo Corrigan on the Vols. When you look at the three teams, all three very, very good teams that the committee really liked, I think the two wins that you're looking at with Alabama and LSU, at LSU really uh, sealed the day for uh, Tennessee. So Tennessee going on the road, winning at LSU, and winning against Alabama, as he says, that seals the day. And listen, there were a lot of people who thought that, well, of course, there's a chance that Tennessee's number one here. The committee has shown over the years they like being different than the human polls. The AP poll does what it does. The CFP committee has kind of always liked being a little bit different from that. They are also seemingly self-aware that they are a television product meant, meant to promote televised games and so doing something to create interesting college ball overall is the kind of thing they sort of secretly seem to enjoy doing they think it's kind of fun to be cute sometimes you've kind of gotten the impression of that we think Tennessee is legitimately a good team and they're certainly worthy of a top three position here somewhere you know number one you know it happens to be the, the the position of the committee but we knew they'd be highly ranked and we thought given the committee's previous behavior there was a very good chance they could be number one What was surprising, though, was is that Georgia, who has been number one in both of the human polls, coaches and AP now for quite some time, actually got slotted, as you said a moment ago, at number three with Ohio State there at number two. In terms of the energy that I've seen from some Georgia fans around this, it was what Mr. Corrigan said about why Ohio State was ranked number two that probably ended up being maybe among the more interesting takeaways. Stealing from CBS the chance to say it's got one versus two on its airways on Saturday. And don't think I didn't notice that. Uh, but nonetheless, Boo Corrigan talking about why it's Ohio State and not Georgia in that number two spot ahead of the historic showdown on Saturday. Here's Corrigan again. Well, I think the explosive nature of their offense at Ohio State and uh, C.J. Stroud uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, that went over uh, Penn State the way they came back to win that game. Again, very close, uh, two well-balanced teams. Uh, at the end of the day, the committee decided that uh, we would go with Ohio State number two and Georgia number three. So let me just say this very quickly. This is why I'm in favor of an expanded playoff. I don't trust what Boo Corgan thinks he knows about college football. I don't trust it at all. And I didn't trust the committee chairman before him or the committee chairman before him or the committee chair before him, before him. I don't really trust this body to make, I'm going to use a fancy word here, qualitative decisions. I think the committee, for the most part, makes quantitative decisions. They like zeros in the loss column. They like ones in the loss column. But beyond that, especially if those are Power 5 teams, but beyond that, the committee is just not really capable of like looking at Team A and Team B and making, once again, fancy word here, qualitative decision about which of those two teams is better. And the word that you heard used on TV a lot, and you heard it from uh, Corgan right there, is the idea of balance. Well, what is Georgia if not balanced? What is Georgia if not balanced? Because for all you want to say about the explosive nature of the Ohio State offense, as many of you are aware, Georgia's actually averaging more yards per game than Ohio State is. And Georgia is averaging like, what, 42 points per game on the scoreboard? I think it'd be very interesting to ask Boo Corrigan, well, to earn your respect and and to to fully impress you, what would Georgia need to do more offensively to to earn your respect there on that? At that point in time, you know, this guy's going to start shuffling his shoes and looking down at the floor. He doesn't have an answer to that. He doesn't doesn't know. And and next week when they make their arguments, they're going to just say something completely different because from week to week they just sort of invent new criteria for how they rank opponents. And as I said before, this is why – this is why I'm in favor of an expanded playoff because I don't want the power to be in these people's hands to decide who the four teams are that make the playoff. I'm a lot more comfortable with this group excluding the 13th best team than I am with this group excluding the fifth best team because history shows they're just not very good at making those decisions. Why are there always so many blowouts in the college ball playoff semifinals? Because I believe this group and the group changes from time to time, but it's sort of always the same if you get my drift. Um, this group is just not very good at choosing the four teams that belong in there. They don't make very good, once again, fancy word, they don't make very good qualitative decisions about all of this. But here is something else I want you to consider here for a moment, that in the roundabout way, when you talk about well, all of this doesn't really matter and all of this is you know all just made for TV, there's obviously an element of that that's true. But consider this year why this year is sort of different than previous years and why this year some of this thought process, some of this discussion is going to be more important than normal because 
this year, unlike a lot of years, it's not just who makes the playoff. It's also where you are seeded in the playoff. This happens to be one of those years in which one of the semifinal games is in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And the other playoff game this year is the Fiesta Bowl out in Arizona. And the national championship game is in Los Angeles. So you better believe for that coveted number one seed, which in all likelihood is going to go to one of these SEC teams, or at least there's a strong chance that's the case, that that earning the full respect of the committee and getting that number one slot in Atlanta is going to be important. So, you know, this idea of well, right now we think so-and-so is better than Georgia. You know, if Georgia were to finish where it is right now, yes, it's in the playoff, but it's playing the game in Arizona. And it's either having to come back home and then go back out to Los Angeles, or it's having to stay out West for a long period of time. These are not NFL guys. These are younger college kids. And asking them to kind of do the long kind of road trip where the NFL teams typically do when they have back-to-back games out West, that's just a different kind of deal for college teams. So as you're thinking about the playoff debate here right now, it's not just the age-old question of who's in, who's your top four. It's where are you ranked among that top four, which is going to continue to matter because playing the game in Atlanta in your own backyard, and that's also going to be Clemson's backyard and Alabama's backyard and Tennessee's backyard. Everybody wants to play the game in Atlanta. If you're kind of in the southeast part of the uh, country, being a part of that is going to be really, really important. Now, one more thing, and this kind of goes back to something I said yesterday and something that Connor Riley kind of brought up with me and we just uh, talked with him on Dog Nation Daily yesterday, is that there is a sense that I'm getting that Saturday is a little bit more important for Georgia than it is for Tennessee. Now, whether that should be true or not true is probably a different discussion, but as far as what is, it is certainly easier to imagine a Tennessee team losing on Saturday and still making the college football playoff than it is to imagine Georgia losing at home on Saturday, not winning the division and still making the college football playoff. I'm not saying it's impossible for either side, but to me, it seems easier to imagine Tennessee doing that than Georgia doing that. And last night, Heather Dennich, who we've obviously had issues with before here on this show, she kind of made that same point on television. So I want you to hear this right now. This is Heather Dennich from ESPN. Georgia needs to win on Saturday more than Tennessee. And I say that because it's clear they are clinging to that win against Oregon. And if they don't beat Tennessee, they're going to obviously need to win out and they're going to have to pray because nobody left on their schedule is ranked in the CFP's top 25 tonight. And that win against Oregon was great, but they've got to do more. They've got to beat Tennessee in order to have a chance, in my opinion. I don't find Heather Dennett to be all that impressive. I think she's wrong about a lot, but I don't think she's wrong about this. Um, I do think the game probably matters a little bit more uh, for Georgia. In other words, if Georgia were to lose, Georgia starts needing a lot of help. It'd be good for you if LSU beat Alabama, or it'd be good for you, you know, if somebody beat Tennessee in the SEC championship, or, you know, you you start getting um, a, a lot of scenarios playing out where you sort of need so-and-so to beat so-and-so to kind of give you the spot that you need back. But here's what we also kind of understand. In a roundabout way, we sort of always understand that's true, that anytime you lose, you kind of give up the autonomy to control your fate towards where you end up in the college football playoff. That, of course, the game is is really important for Georgia on Saturday. Of course, these are the kinds of games you need to win to give yourself the best chance to be in there. And Maybe that's a little less so for Tennessee because they're on the road. They've got the victory versus Alabama in hand, who the committee seems to value more than than Oregon here at the moment. Maybe that's the case. But this is kind of what you sort of always expect. You've got to win to to stay on the inside track to the college football playoff. So that's one of the reasons why the game is so big, because Georgia's status as a playoff contender and Georgia's status as the reigning national champion it's all on the line when you play this game against the Vols on Saturday. So from that standpoint, I don't think Heather Dennett is necessarily wrong in what she says right there. But it is an ongoing debate, and one we're looking forward to having here uh, around the doghouse, of course, on Dog Nation Daily, presented by uh, Breda Pass Manager. Now, before we're done, we'll kind of get more into some of the other playoff rankings and kind of some of the other things that happen sort of below where Georgia's ranked, which I think are also really interesting and kind of worth your attention as we kind of try to figure out what the I guess the overarching conversation is going to be 
over the course of the next few weeks. And there were a couple of rankings that I think were quite a surprise to a good number of people. And we'll highlight those for you coming up here in a little bit. But for now, from Knoxville, Tennessee, looking back in the playoff rankings, looking ahead to Georgia, Tennessee on Saturday and everything else, let's talk to Mike Griffith here right now as a part of a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Mike, uh, welcome in. Uh, glad to have you there from Knoxville. You see uh, Neyland Stadium right there in the uh, background, the stadium that uh, Eric Ainge says so much more intimidating than what Sanford Stadium is going to be on Saturday. We had some fun with that a little bit earlier. We're also having some fun with these playoff rankings there too. Mike, I like the debate. I like talking about who's ranked where. I, I like getting more upset about it than the conversation deserves i just think it's fun to kind of get into all of this and kind of you know have the uh, the, the the debate ongoing so with that in mind what were your thoughts about seeing tennessee at one ohio state at two and georgia way down at number three uh last night well ba i was on the conference call last night and i asked bucor again about the head-to-head matchup between Georgia and Florida and Tennessee and Florida and Georgia beat Florida by a much wider margin at 42 to 20 recently on a neutral site field uh, than Tennessee did at home 38 33. So that's the argument for Georgia is that there's one common opponent and I would argue that Georgia won more impressively than Tennessee did. The schedule though absolutely favors Tennessee. You know they won in Baton Rouge and Georgia fans know that's not an easy place to win, albeit this is not a Joe Burrow-led team. But still, they pounded an LSU team that beat Ole Miss, which by transitive properties puts LSU among the top 12. And and they beat Alabama in the regular season. Again, uh, it could have gone either way in that stadium behind me. You can talk about the officiating and talk about one team missing a field goal, another one has one blocked, and it goes through. They won just barely. Uh, but I think what really hurts Georgia – is some of the struggles that they had. I mean, they struggled against Kent State. I mean, I, that's a three and five team. They struggled against Missouri. They were down ten to a bottom dweller in the SEC, and and, and Georgia, to some on the outside, doesn't pass the eyeball test. And we can see, uh, you know, what Stetson Bennett's done, but he's not C.J. Stroud. He's not at the top the Heisman standings. He's not a Harrison Jr. So I, I think this is a slap in the face to the Georgia offense. Which, okay, so Tennessee has more scoring and has more total offense. But if you dive deeper in the numbers, Georgia is better on third downs. Georgia is better in the red zone. Uh, you know, Georgia has, has done better in some of these other categories, and, and that's with Kirby pulling guys. So in terms of the eye test and the beauty contest, I mean, okay, Tennessee, Ohio State, but Kirby Smart and Georgia have quietly got it done. And, and here's what Kirby knows that you and I also know is when it comes right down to it, you got to win. The committee's going to do what they want. We saw that in 2018 when Georgia got left out. They lost to Alabama by seven points. Alabama beat everybody else in the country by 20 or more that year, and they leave Georgia out for, for Oklahoma. The same thing's going to happen if Georgia doesn't win this game, Brandon. Let's not, let's not have any illusions or kid ourselves. If Georgia doesn't beat Tennessee – they're not getting in the college football playoff. I certainly think it gets much more difficult to do that in a way that was not true a year ago when Georgia ran the table and lost Alabama in the SEC championship. By the time that happened, even someone like me that was skeptical of would they really put two SEC teams in the playoff, even at that point in time, I had kind of sort of acknowledged that there really wasn't another team other than Georgia making this playoff. But I agree with kind of some of what you're saying there is is this scenario would be different than that. Whereas if you're 11-1 and one and you don't have – the um the the sec east crown there if you're watching the sec championship game at home depending on how alabama performs the uh the, the the rest of the way there it does become easier to be excluded i don't believe it's impossible that georgia would be excluded i think there's a a set of circumstances and dominoes that could fall where you could get back in at 11 and 1 but it's way hard you need a ton of help and it's one of the reasons why the simplest path to the playoff is just to go out there and beat the balls on saturday yeah, it really is, and this is a game that I think Georgia should win. Look, I know they lost Nolan Smith, but, you know, you got Jalen Carter back just in time. I mean, 88 is going to be the biggest difference maker or potential difference maker because he can move the pocket. No one can chase, but Jalen can disrupt like nobody's business. And the fact that he's healthy and back with the team, it says so much about the level of buy-in. It says so much about Jalen Carter. He made a difference in that Florida game. It wasn't maybe evident to the naked eye, but Billy Napier after the game on Florida's fourth and sixth, their last ditch, it's number 88 disrupting the pocket. He's going to create headaches for uh, 
for Tennessee. And, and let's not forget Robert Beal. You know, it's interesting. Last year, Georgia lost their sacks leader, Adam Anderson, uh, team captain, uh, after the Florida game. Adam was a captain and played in that game, and then he was dismissed, uh, you know, with the rape allegations. This year, they lose a team captain and their sacks leader and Nolan Smith in the Florida game. And who is the next man up once again? Robert Beal. He was there last year. He's going to be there this year. This is what championship depth looks like. When you get in trouble, you've got to be able to plug and play someone else that knows their assignment. This is what we know about the Georgia Bulldogs that the college football playoff committee can't see on their spreadsheets. And this is what I think we're going to see play out in Sanford Stadium on Saturday. Well, let's talk more about this Georgia-Tennessee game because, listen, here's what I'll tell you, is that to begin this year, Mike, I knew Tennessee was good. I, I thought they had a chance to be 9-3, and 10-2. and two. Um, This was a team that was definitely on my radar as, I would say, improved from where they were a year ago and on the list of what I would call good teams in the SEC. And yet over the course of the last few weeks, I think that undeniably they've proven to me to be better than that you know last year it was like 45 42 against kentucky this year they win 44 to 6 uh they've lost how many games in a row to alabama this year they won the game that there is clearly an example that tennessee's taken a dramatic step forward from where it was a year ago and even though i thought they were good to begin the year they're even better than that right now so tennessee has earned my respect one thing i've been saying a lot here this week is is if you're a Georgia fan and your hope for the win on Saturday is that somehow Tennessee proves to be a fraud, falls flat on the big stage, you know, completely just sort of gives the game away to Georgia, I think you're likely to be disappointed on that. This is a game in which I think that Georgia has to take it from Tennessee. I don't think it can expect to be given to them. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, what is the path for victory to Georgia uh, how do you get it done? And I guess maybe the most specific question here is, is how do you stop that Tennessee offense or at least contain it enough uh, to give yourself a chance to win the game? Well, you know, you defend Hendon Hooker, incomplete passes, good coverage, good schemes. I mean, you know, this is a twofold thing. Part of it is Tennessee's taking a step forward. And I think another part is the SEC's taking a step back. I think the league is weak this year compared to last year. I don't think it's as good as it's been. I don't think this year's Alabama, which was supposed to be all that, has proven to be all that. You know, I think their transfer is washed out. They don't have the receivers uh, that they did last year. Uh, I don't think we're seeing, uh, you know, linebacker play from Will Anderson. He's not having the effect. So the Alabama team they beat was a watered-down version of what we thought they were going to be. The LSU team they beat is a watered-down version of what we're used to against LSU. Remember, that LSU team trailed at Auburn 17-0 to halfway through the second quarter. Remember, Tennessee was held to 21 points in regulation by a pit team that lost to Georgia Tech. So I'm not going to get carried away with Tennessee and their fast-break offense. They've run over some teams that, quite frankly, are down. Kentucky you know, lost at home to South Carolina. Still, 44-6 to is impressive. I don't know what's going on in Mark Stoops' clubhouse. Maybe it's basketball season and they're too, too busy checking the, the basketball box scores. But that's not the sort of Kentucky that we've seen in past years. So I think the SEC's down. I think Tennessee's taking a step up. And I think Georgia can handle Tennessee, provided they don't turn the ball over. And Stetson makes the plays that he needs to make. And Georgia controls the line of scrimmage. I think this is a Georgia victory. Yeah, and I think that while it may be true that I, I don't think Alabama is as good as they were a year ago. Now, listen, being worse than they were last year could still be good enough this year. There's at least a possibility that's the case. While it's true that I think Alabama is a step back from where they've been, I don't think it's obvious that Georgia is, though. And listen, we may find out on Saturday that it is. I think right now what Georgia is is unproven. Georgia has a huge win against a you know a top ten Oregon team, and a lot of other games you're kind of left to wonder what this really means. But I am still on guard for the possibility that yeah, you know what, this Georgia team is every bit as good, if not better, than the team was a year ago. They're scoring more points per game this year than the team did uh, last year defensively. You know, they're not getting after quarterbacks yet uh, the way they did a year ago, but there's still some time to do that. And Saturday would be a pretty good time to start, by the way. Um, but uh, And we had Brad Nesser from CBS on the show last week, and he said he thought that uh, this Georgia team might be better than one was a, a year ago. So I think for the Tennessee folks who are sort of hoping there's this obvious regression from the Georgia team that beat them up uh, last season – I don't know that Georgia cooperates with that narrative. Maybe they do. Uh, you know, I, I've been saying all week long, Mike, I, as a fan, which I am, I am optimistic yet uncertain. I don't know how any of this plays out on Saturday or anything beyond that. But I think this Georgia team has given me reason this year to be optimistic, and I take that optimism with me on Saturday. Sure. I think they've given you a lot of reason to be optimistic. I think they're well coached. I think they've improved. 
They've taken advantage of a schedule that was weaker than it was a year ago. They're scoring more points because they have to, because Kent State scored 22, because Missouri scored, what, 22. Last year's team allowed 6.9 points per game. The offense didn't have to do a whole heck of a lot except stay out of the way and not turn the ball over, if we're being honest about it. Last year's Florida game is a great example. The defense essentially triggered 21 points in a three-minute span at the end of a game that was 3-0, to zero, right? Now, this year's offense, I think, has taken steps. I think Stetson Bennett has improved. I think the offensive line is a wash. The backfield's not as deep as it was a year ago. I don't think you can debate that. And I don't think the receiving core is as deep as it was a year ago because of the injury to A.D. Mitchell. Now, when A.D. gets back, I think that's a game-changer, Brandon. And whenever they decide to use a Rick Gilbert, I think that's a game-changer. So I think the offense is a wash but is potentially better with a higher ceiling once A.D. gets back and once Eric Gilbert gets plugged in. We've seen a healthy Darnell Washington make a difference. Defensively, however, you lost five first-round picks, and your line of scrimmage, it's not as good as it was a year ago. Your linebackers have stepped up. Jamon Dumas Johnson has played extremely well. Do we think he's as good as N'Kobe Dean yet? That would be quite an honor. I think you could make a case that JDJ is approaching that level, but I don't see Quay Walker standing next to him. And, and while Malachi Starks has played well in the secondary, we saw what can happen to a young guy against Florida. He's not Lewis Seen yet. He's very close, and he's much, much better than I expected. Cornerbacks, I think, have improved. Keely Ringo's a shade better, albeit still getting beat every now and then, being targeted. Kamari Lassiter, I'm not sure I'd put him on par with Kendrick in coverage, but I think he's as good, if not better, in run support. So we can make the argument and the debate, but at the end of the day, the proof's going to be in the pudding, and it's going to be up to this Georgia team to prove they're as good as they were last year. Last year's team opened up against a testy Clemson team that finished second in the nation in total defense and Clemson's de facto home stadium. That was one hell of a win for Georgia. Uh, and, and with an injured quarterback at that, Georgia had to change quarterbacks in the middle of the season. They had to replace their best defensive player in the middle of the season. They did an outstanding job. I think, Brandon, I would say this. I think this is Kirby Smart's best coaching job this year with all the players he had to replace and the way that they redesigned their offense and the way they've been able to maneuver through the schedule, albeit not as strong as last year's, you know, 8-0 is 8-0, man. You don't see it often, and I think the dogs have a lot of momentum, and now they have even more incentive with this ranking. I mean, Kirby Smart ought to send them a thank-you card, not that there was any complacency creeping in, but if Jordan needed any more incentive, they just got it. All right, I want to ask you about the Nolan Smith situation a little bit more. I know you touched on that a minute ago, but I want to ask you more about that in a moment. Let me remind folks, though, this is our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike Griffin. You know, Saturday for Georgia is not just a game. It's more than just a game. And when you get your insurance through our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau, you're going to get more than an insurance policy there as well. Why? Because Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team. What does that mean? It means their agents and their you know, claims adjusters and all the folks that are working with them, they're, they're living and they're working and they're, you know, going to church and, and coaching youth sports and all the things that, that, that you do in your community right there in Georgia. They're doing all those things for you there as well. You're kind of doing business with someone who sort of understands what your life is all about. That's what Georgia Farm Bureau is all about. And that's one of the reasons why I think you need to reach out to them, whether it be your you know, home insurance or your, your, your auto insurance, those things that are so important to you, uh, Georgia Farm Bureau understands why they're important. They understand that vehicle is what's getting you to and from work each and every day. They understand that home is kind of the like the, sort of the deepest root you have when it comes to your the emotional you know connection you have with your family. They they just get all that. So find them online at gfbinsurance.com. That is gfbinsurance.com for a lot more from our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau. All right, Mike, let's talk about the Nolan Smith thing here for a moment. And you know, to me, what I've been saying about this is there's the sort of practical reality of you need a new outside linebacker. There's the kind of, I guess, sort of quantitative reality of, okay, there's some production that has to be replaced. And then there's this intangible thing of there's a spiritual and emotional leadership that that Smith provided that kind of extends beyond just the position and the numbers. You know, talk to me a little bit more about the the replacement of Nolan Smith, what Georgia does, particularly at the outside linebacker spot, and what the rest of the defense now does in terms of additional responsibility, knowing that uh, Nolan's not going to be out there. Well, I mean, this is where Kirby's system kicks in, right? They play a lot of guys. We've seen some Chads. We've seen some Marvin. I mean, but Beal's the guy. I mean, now Robert Beal, maybe you want him to be a little bit more vocal. But I think the fact of the matter is, is that I think the real leaders of the defense and, and the guys that 
you know, the voices that you hear between snaps, uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson and Christopher Smith, they're still out there. And the fact that Nolan is still around the team, and you can read a story from Connor Riley that was posted this morning about how Nolan is still going to be on the sideline. Nolan is still going to bring the chatter, the motivation. He's going to stay engaged with the team. Don't underestimate that. I think guys like Nolan Smith and Jordan Davis last year, I think those guys that bring that brevity and, and are able to kind of pick their teammates up, I think that's important. There's some guys right when they walk in the room, they just make it a more fun and happy place. And and that's Nolan. You know, you could go to practice and hear him chirping on the sidelines, making jokes. He's still going to be on the sidelines. You're going to miss his play more. You're going to miss that pursuit, right? That Raptor-like speed. I like to compare him to the Raptor, the way he just would close on quarterbacks and attack. But I look back there in the secondary and I see Soldier Chris. Chris Smith is a superstar that we don't talk nearly enough about. He ought to be a Thorpe Award finalist. You talk about a guy that's come up big and uh, time and time again, the pick six against Clemson, an interception in the championship game, uh, an interception this year against Oregon. I mean, Christopher Smith and that 29, he is all over the field. He has been a sensational story of development, uh, much like Eric Stokes. Now, he, he was a little higher rated than Eric. Eric was actually the lowest rated guy in his class and blossomed into a first rounder. I don't know that Chris goes first round. It'll be close only because safety's not maybe as valued as much in the draft as corner. But this is a guy who shot up the draft boards, more importantly, made an impact on the Georgia Bulldogs. He's been a great leader and a great mentor for Malachi Starks, the next uh, sensation at Georgia, the next All-American on the rise. So Chris Smith is still out there. I still believe he was the most is and was the most indispensable player on this football team. Uh, the most irreplaceable guy is, is 29. Jamon Dumas Johnson is, is quickly, quickly closing on that numbers two spot. we Listen, we've seen, I saw number 10 last year knocking people silly. And my only question was, does he have the same sort of quickness to go sideline to sideline as Nicobe? Not many people do. That's why Nicobe won a butt kiss award. But JDJ really brings it. He's an intense guy. He sets the tone. He's a different kind of leader than Nolan. And listen, it's all part of the formula, right? They're all ingredients that goes into the level of buying. Right now, you're going to see other opportunities and more snaps for other players who've been practicing and waiting for this opportunity. I'd say the same thing on offense. If something happens to Stetson Bennett, I think Carson Beck is ready. If something happens to Kenny McIntosh, we've seen Dejon Edwards is ready. Obviously, Eric Gilbert ready to play. We saw him make an impact. We finally had the ball thrown to him. Maybe Kirby breaks him out for this game. We've seen the offensive line step up. Xavier Trust goes out. Willett comes in. I mean, that is what makes a championship program is the level of depth and the team leadership. So while you're right, I do believe that Nolan Smith is the tip of the spear when it comes to vocal leadership on the field. You still have Jamon Dumas Johnson, Chris Smith, and you're seeing some of those young guys in the trenches grow up. Jalen Carter comes back. That's a huge addition to the team. And while Jalen isn't the most vocal guy, Zion Logan, Nazir Stackhouse, these guys have grown into this role. So we've watched Georgia develop right before our eyes. This is not a ready-made championship team like last year's unit was. This is a team that's been a growth in progress. And while we can talk about how the weaker schedule hurt them in the first playoff ranking, that weaker schedule also bought time for this Georgia team to develop some of these younger players to get better and better and better so they can be ready for the challenge it's coming Saturday at 3.30 against Tennessee. All right, Mike, good stuff. Thank you for being here for part of a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We'll see you back in Athens on Saturday along with about a million other folks because it seems like it's going to be quite a day uh, in the classic city. These are the moments we live for. So we appreciate you helping us get ready for it, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, thanks, Brandon. Enjoy. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So quick note, you know, Mike mentioned this about Robert Beal. Let me give you this number here really quickly. So if you go back and look, and a, sport, oh, a website like sportsreference.com is always so helpful on something like this. So if you go back and look a year ago, prior to the Florida game, Robert B. only had a sack and a half. He had a sack against Vandy. He had half a sack against Auburn. Well, on the other side of the Florida game, that's when Adam Anderson stepped away from this team. Beal has a sack against Tennessee, a sack against Charleston Southern, a sack against Georgia Tech, a sack against Michigan in the college football playoff, a sack against Alabama in the national championship game. Finished with his team's individual lead in the sack total with six and a half on the year and 
five of those came on the other side of the essential the halfway point of the season once Adam Anderson stepped away from this team Beal stepped up for you a year ago now why did that happen and you know you know you know I guess technically how did all that come to be I don't quite know um obviously playing with other good players made a lot easier and you know this year things are a little bit different with the uh, overall component makeup of this Georgia defense but Beal stepped up for you last year he did and being on the field more gives him a chance to maybe do that again you got to have it from somewhere and maybe he's one of those guys that can provide that all right let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean I'll tell you this as excited as I am about what's going to happen Saturday and then the weeks after that leading to a go for two and 22 type season for UGA uh, I'll say excited about what's going to happen for us, my family, on the other side of that. We're going to be going on Wonder of the Seas. And last night with Royal Caribbean, uh, my wife and I were kind of watching some YouTube videos on that and kind of making some of our plans. We're going to kind of do a little something on De- in, in December about that, getting a chance to enjoy all of that. And, and to me, it's the looking forward to the trip, which is always part of the fun. I mean, obviously being there and doing that is great, but it's like looking forward to it that I think is always really fun. And when you plan your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, you're going to find out that's the uh, truth. And one of the things you can get excited about right now and anticipate really is January 2024, the debut of the brand new ship, Icon of the Seas. Right now, we're going on Wonder of the Seas, which is the biggest ship that Royal Caribbean has right now. But next year, or I guess on the other side of uh, next year, uh, when Icon of the Seas debuts, not only is it going to be the largest cruise ship in the world, it's going to be an introduction of a brand new class of Royal Caribbean cruise ships. So they're always doing fun new things, always kind of setting the stage uh, and, and really uh, you know, setting a new standard for what cruise vacations are all about. And you can experience a taste of that yourself when you join us on the Dog Nation cruise coming up this April. RoyalDogs.com, that's a website. RoyalDogs.com, you can go there and find out kind of more about this. Also, Jessica Slater is a terrific travel agent. She's been specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help you book all of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacations, but in particular, the second ever cruise with Dog Nation coming up this April. So you can give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And she'll tell you everything you need to know. But the brand new Icon of the Seas when it comes out, the ship that I'm looking forward to being on, Wonder of the Seas, or the ship we're all going to be on together, Independence of the Seas, coming up in April, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that wonderful private island oasis. She can tell you all about that, so make sure you check her out today. All right, let's kind of get more into these playoff rankings from last night, because beyond just the Georgia, Tennessee stuff and the Ohio State stuff, there are a couple of other interesting things I want to know, and maybe for right now we'll just sort of keep this to the top ten. Um, like, can we show the top ten on this one more time? So let me start here at the bottom. LSU at 10 is fascinating because LSU in the AP poll is 15th. So if you're looking for an example of the committee either wanting to or being willing to, whichever, I guess, point of view you profess on this, they are fine with being way different than the human polls. This is an LSU team that's lost twice, by the way. They lost week one to Florida State in a game they played awful, and they got blown out by Tennessee. And somehow two loss LSU right now is the number 10 team in the country. And I was joking with Connor Raleigh about this last night about who this conspiracy theory benefits is this a justification for having tennessee at one or knowing that you've got top 10 matchup now which is kind of funny with the stroke of a pen espn can create a top 10 matchup for itself top 10 matchup coming up on saturday against alabama to me putting lsu at 10 as a pro bama move and i'm saying this sort of half kiddingly half seriously in that if you really want Alabama to stay alive for the playoff, what better way to do that than beating a so-called top 10 opponent, even that opponent's already lost twice? Right now, Alabama doesn't really have a win that argues for it very well. Uh, but LSU, because they're currently ranked at 10th, can kind of change that. And if you kind of want to keep, whether it's conspiratorial or if you're just skeptical, maybe maybe the better word here is skeptical. If you're skeptical of LSU at 10, I think you've got every right to be skeptical of of USC at nine there as well. Some of y'all don't care about the Pac-12, which you have every right not to. But for those of you that do kind of follow the big picture story in college football, give me in one sentence why USC should be ranked ahead of UCLA. Like, I mean, honestly, like what is the argument for USC over their in-city rival UCLA? Not quite so sure there is one. In fact, I'm going to give you five minutes here to find the good win thus far that USC has on the season and I'm not quite so sure you're going to be able to do that. So if you want to kind of get into who's ranked where and why it's weird, USC this high at nine, they've already lost against Utah, keep in mind. And uh, 
so, so, so sort of keep that in mind. Uh, but nonetheless, they are there at nine right now. Oregon is the highest ranked Pac-12 team. They are at eight. And you wonder, knowing they lost to Georgia 49-3, how high could Oregon climb in these rankings without Georgia also just kind of <laughs> – just by virtue of narrative clarity also having to rise there as well so you kind of wonder if there's a ceiling on uh oregon here at eight but having lost a three 49 to three you kind of wonder about that i think the tcu's got a legitimate gripe once again nobody in our audience really cares about the horned frogs but i think if you're trying to do this on the basis of who's done what I'd have no problem right now with TCU being ranked ahead of Alabama. Now, TCU doesn't have a very good defense, and they're probably a double-digit underdog to almost everybody ranked ahead of them probably would be. But, you know, they had a stretch in which, you know, they kind of what, they blew out Oklahoma. You know, they've won against teams that were ranked in the top 25 when those games were played. Now, as it kind of stands right now, they don't have a lot of sort of top 25-type wins because those teams, in some respects, have kind of fallen out of the rankings. But I don't think the TCU is necessarily unproven. They may not be as good as the very best, but they might be better than Alabama because I don't believe Alabama is in that category right now either. Bama does, though, get the six nod. One more kind of point to share with you here is that um, Clemson over Michigan is going to be interesting in some folks' mind because the so-called eye test, I think, on the part of the average college football fan would probably favor Michigan here over Clemson. But I think this is mostly being interpreted, and probably rightly so, as a knock against Michigan's non-conference schedule, which is like as bad as it can be. Uh, you know, they, they have played pillow soft non-conference schedule, starting to play some more crucial Big Ten games. And they've looked good in doing them, but their non-conference schedule is very, very weak. And for now, that gives Clemson the nod over Michigan. What that would tell me is, if you want to have kind of like a logical discourse on this for a moment. There's obviously a chance that two Big Ten teams make the playoff. We've seen two SEC teams make the playoff twice. The Big Ten is a league that's kind of thought of in a similar fashion right now, at least on the part of the the boardroom folks. And the door would seemingly be open for two Big Ten teams to make the playoff. But the best path for that would seem to be Michigan winning the league, Ohio State finishing runner-up as opposed to the other way around, because of the knock on the non-conference schedule, it's not going to get any better. They've already played all their non-conference games. Because of the knock on that non-conference schedule, if you're holding against them on that now, it seems like that would still be a knock against them later if they're not the Big Ten champion. You know, Supposedly, there's this extra bump you get when you win your league, but if Michigan doesn't win its league, you kind of wonder, and if it doesn't beat Ohio State, you sort of wonder, well, what is the argument for them? Whereas, if they're the conference champion, if they beat Ohio State again – um maybe both the big 10 teams could get in because this committee clearly loves ohio state for all the reasons that boo corrigan told you about there a moment ago i guess it's also worth considering this and then we'll kind of move on is that i have been operating under the assumption that there were really only about six teams alive for the playoff maybe seven if you included oregon but you are reminded and some people are going to kind of write this up here is that we have seen teams ranked as low as like 15th or 16th in the first rankings in the past find a way to make the playoff we have seen teams kind of climb the rankings before and eventually make the playoff so if you're kind of wondering well who is that kind of version of the sport right now you're sort of looking at one loss North Carolina in the ACC or Illinois in the Big Ten and I'm not telling you I believe those teams are going to make the playoff nor do I believe we'll be talking about them for much more into the future I'm not necessarily saying that but there is some historical precedent for those teams. So maybe the larger pool of who you could possibly consider for the playoff, maybe it's slightly larger than I, I guess I originally considered. So so maybe at least worth uh, considering that there for a moment. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And also we'll kind of look ahead here a little bit to some of the games are going to take place this weekend. We'll obviously have our picks for games on Go With The Flow on Friday at Dog Nation video channels. But let's also give you some top games this week, courtesy of our friends at MyBookie, the point spreads that we'll be using to make our picks coming up on Friday. You've got Tennessee, Georgia. The number right now stands at eight. You know this, at least a lot of you do. Last week with what you call the look-ahead lines, these are early point spreads that are posted by some sports books. DraftKings does this. Not everybody posts early look-ahead lines, but some, some do. Georgia was about a 10- or 11-point favorite. You're also, if you're kind of involved in gambling, you may be aware of this, is that a lot of those look-ahead lines, even in the summertime when they first come out, 
You can't make very big bets on look-ahead lines. They're kind of low-limit action. As you get to game week, the total uh, bets that are allowed kind of goes up. And so you see a little bit different level of activity. And when the door was open sort of in-week betting on Georgia-Tennessee, the line came down in the direction of Tennessee. I do take it a little bit seriously here as someone who just wants Georgia to win the game. Whether you win by 8, whether you win by 4, whether you win by 40, I just want Georgia to win the game. I take a little bit of comfort in the idea that right now, I think you've seen some seven and a halves, you've seen some eight, you've seen some nine maybe there as well, but you haven't seen anything at or below that key number of seven. And that shows you there's some respect that's out there for Georgia. Yeah, the line's kind of come down a little bit, but it's still above seven, which is about a key number as you can get when it comes to a lot of these point spreads. There is enough love for Georgia there on that, that the obvious fear here is on the part of some big betters big total you know uh you know guys that throw big numbers at some of these games that if you were ever to go below that seven or, or sort of hit at that seven that george would be hammered there at that point in time and that people would look to come in heavy there on the bulldogs in this particular case the fact that george is sort of sitting there at that eight point number if you're a georgia fan you just want to see uga win the game i think you probably take some comfort in that because that is kind of sitting above a key number, showing you some respect there on the side of Georgia. LSU's in the top 10 of the CFP committee, but a 13-point home underdog against Alabama on Saturday. I think this is a fun game. I don't know that I've got much of a lean on this yet. Uh, LSU is playing better than they were. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I have right now no idea how good Alabama is. I think the one thing I've come to believe is you cannot just rubber stamp Alabama anymore in games like this. At one point, maybe you could. But right now, from week to week, you just don't quite know what you're getting from them. I don't know that Alabama's played a great game yet. Are they capable of playing a great game? Um, I guess Saturday would be the time to have it come out. They're coming off a bye, and they're seemingly, I, I don't know, uh, getting a little healthier, I, I guess. Um, I just right now kind of view Alabama as a little bit of a mystery. But this is not, in my mind, a national elite team the way that it's played in September and October. We'll see if November brings a new level of play there. Uh, kind of inside baseball here but we pick five games on our show and this week kind of trying to decide another game to pick was a little bit hard or trying to decide the full five games to pick was a little bit difficult you know a couple of the top 25 matchups nc state wake forest don't really care much about those here right now so i decided to go with auburn against mississippi state i think this game's kind of fun obviously mississippi state's the opponent next week for georgia Auburn is also in its first game with interim coach Carnell Williams, Cadillac, taking the lead here for, for Auburn. And what we've seen this year is, is teams with interim coaches, including like, say, Georgia Tech, which won a couple of games with uh, Brent Key as head coach, even Charlotte last week won a game with an interim coach. We've seen interim coaches show a little bit of a dead cat bounce, uh, which like a dead cat bounce where they've kind of played a little bit better, uh, you know, after firing their coach. So does Auburn have that with Cadillac going to Mississippi State on Saturday? And do they keep this one a little bit closer? I, I honestly don't know. But uh, I did want to kind of include this game because I thought it was at least uh, a little bit of an oddity with the uh, interim coach against the opponent for Georgia there next week. And then kind of outside the uh, SEC, you got Texas against Kansas State there on Saturday. Texas got a big game looming with TCU. A lot of folks kind of think sort of half kidding, only half serious. The Texas is the best three-loss team in the country here right now. So if you're curious about what TCU's playoff fate is going to be, watching a Texas team play this week against Kansas State is a precursor to what's going to happen between the Longhorns and the Horn Frogs. Uh, that might be kind of fun. And then keep your eye on this. Clemson going to Notre Dame on Saturday. This is the second time in a small handful of weeks where you've seen Clemson, you know, top four by the committee, you know, playoff pedigree for a number of years. But boy, a narrow favorite against a team that most people don't think is very good. We've seen uh, Notre Dame this year lose to Marshall. We've seen them be non-competitive, you know, uh, already this season. I don't think they were very competitive in the uh, game against Ohio State. Buckeyes didn't cover, but Notre Dame didn't do much either. Uh, this is not a Notre Dame team that's very good, but somehow Clemson is only a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road on Saturday. That is a very interesting point spread and one that's worth your attention. We'll look forward to making our official picks on that as you head towards Friday. And that, our MyBookie Best Bets preview. Of course, you can find MyBookie online. Uh, just use the uh, uh, internet uh, to find it for you. Just sort of type MyBookie in your browser. They'll get you where you need to go. And then once you get to MyBookie, use the promo code DOGNATION. And when you do so, you're going to get a big deposit bonus, up to $1,000. You put in $500, our friends at MyBookie will give you an additional $500 right there in your account, and you're literally a winner before you win 
your first bet. And after that, you simply play, you win, you get paid. It is winning season right now at MyBookie, but you can find them online. Use the promo code DOGNATION to take advantage of all that comes your way with that big deposit bonus. MyBookie online, promo code DOGNATION. Best of luck and great to have MyBookie with us here each week as always. By the way, speaking of Friday, looking ahead to the weekend, this weekend when we're looking ahead to more so than many, of course, we're also thinking about our big finish coming up on Friday where we enjoy all the folks who are enjoying the finished long drink and being back in Jacksonville this past weekend. A lot of folks had the finished long drink flowing. They were having a good time with all of that. And I was enjoying stopping by and seeing some of their tailgates and do all of that. And of course, for you, if you've tried some and you're enjoying it, send us a photo of you doing that. Send us a social media message. Hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, and we'll celebrate you as a part of the big finish presented by the finished long drink coming up on Friday. We'd love to have you with us as a part of that. And if you've not tried some and you want to find out how you can try some, well, the longdrink.com's website to go to. You can find out more about the four different varieties, whether it be the long drink cranberry, which is got the cranberry flavors you might imagine, the long drink strong, which is eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Uh, the long drink zero, that's no carbs, no sugar. A long drink traditional comes in a blue can, got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. I actually really enjoy that. It's kind of the original, and I, I think it's really good. Uh, so you can find out more at thelongdrink.com. You can pick some up. You can even get one of those eight-can variety packs, which is two different cans of each of the four long drink varieties. I really like that there as well. So I think you'll enjoy that. So find out, find out more about that online at thelongdrink.com. All right, a couple of golden shoes to give you today. Uh, let's show you the first one here. I guess leave it to Georgia fans to kind of find a way to make being number three in the playoff rankings cool, kind of evoking memories of uh, – actually, we'll do this one first instead. Uh, uh, yeah, there you go. Bobby Daniel shares this with me. Uh, show him this at Dog Nation Daily. Georgia number three in the playoff rankings. You see the Dale Earnhardt three behind there. I like the idea of Georgia being the intimidator on Saturday. I like that. I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. Uh, Bobby Daniel, I think that's well done there for you. We'll make you a golden shoe winner to be sure. Also, our next one there, going back to the game this past Saturday, Dina Pruitt shares with me. She says, this shirt's from 2007, but wearing it never gets old. What does it say? It says, we beat Florida. I like that. Dina, always worth celebrating. Also, Dina straight to the front of the line because she uses the hashtag go for two in 22. That's the mission. That's the journey we're on. Can't wait for it to continue. Uh, and you see a nice look there at the uh, two fingers in the air for the dogs. Go for two in 22. And by the way, Gator Hater Countdown back in Jacksonville. 360 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you tomorrow right back here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Braided Pass Management. Look forward to talking to you then, everybody. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Den. Of course, R.S. Andrews, one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. A Texas dog sent this to me on Twitter. He said, to whomever bought my Tennessee game tickets back in the spring, thanks for changing your mind. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that kind of thing where, you know, obviously the Georgia-Tennessee game is kind of always thought to be probably the best home game in terms of, I guess, value that Georgia was going to play this year, but no one could have ever imagined it was going to have quite the excess value that it has right now, where I believe, you know, I think the cheapest tickets are going for obviously, you know, many hundreds of dollars, if not a thousand dollars per ticket right now. And uh, I think there were a lot of people who probably did sell them very early on that uh, realized I could have sold them for a lot more, had to hold on to them. Or if you're like me, you know, so I'm always in the press box. That's where I watch the game from in my, um, Sometimes my wife and kids will go to the game and they had a chance to like buy some tickets of the day and they were very, very inexpensive price. And it was one of those things where it wasn't like the world's best seats and there was a pretty good chance. It's like the, I'll be honest, it was like in the 600 level. And that's really, really high and likely to be more Tennessee fans up there because that's where like the typical visiting fans are. And so we didn't buy them. And uh, in retrospect, it was a bad financial decision because uh, tickets have skyrocketed since then. And all of a sudden, sitting in a bad seat or sitting next to a bunch of uh, Vols fans, maybe it doesn't seem quite so bad as opposed to being completely shut out of the stadium. But definitely different people are having to make peace with different things. I think I told this story the other day. I can't remember if it was during the regular show or during the video portion of our cool down. But in 1998, when Tennessee came in, the first time game day had ever been in Athens at the time, that was the first time I'd ever paid $100 for a ticket. And I remember how expensive that seemed. That just seemed so crazy, so expensive. And it was. I mean, $100 is so expensive now. But it seemed really expensive for a young guy back then. And I, I remember this story so vividly in that 
back then, you didn't have to show your ID as a student to get into the game. You basically just had a student ticket and you're in. And so somebody was going to sell me a student ticket. And at first, she was going to sell it for like $5 or like however much the, the, the tickets were. But then she found out that the tickets were actually worth more. And she's like, now I want $20 for it. And I just remember being outraged by this. You want We had an agreement at like $5 or whatever, and now you want $20? And I just remember thinking that was outrageous. So I bought one ticket that way. And then I had to buy one more ticket on the street that day. And there was just nothing to be had for less than $100. I just remember thinking, gosh, $100 to go to a Georgia football game. That just seems so crazy. <laughs> and I'd give anything to find tickets for $100 right now. I'm sure many of you would uh, probably kind of feel the same way on that. So uh, a lot of folks making peace with uh, some very expensive tickets right now. And a lot of folks kind of making peace with not selling their tickets because you can get a few hundred dollars for this. But... Uh, or maybe you know, a couple thousand dollars for your tickets, but you're going to end up missing, you know, the greatest game, or biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. So that's tough. On uh, DogNation.com, from our comment section yesterday, going back to the Nolan Smith injury, score check says next dog up, and you know, hopefully Georgia does have the kind of depth they can absorb an injury like the one to Nolan. It is a substantial one, and and, and filling his void not an easy thing to do, but that's going to be the challenge. SP Dog says I know that Kirby keeps touting Ron Corson's ability whenever athletes are injured. He says, but I'm not so sure I agree with him. Time and time again, it seems that players are either back too soon or take far longer than anticipated to heal. I hope Nolan and AD are getting second and third opinions. So I get where you're coming from on that frustration as it relates to injury. But, I mean, I've talked to plenty of people, independent-type people, and they all kind of tout Ron Corson as a sports medicine-type specialist as truly being among the very best in the world. I think some of the frustration related to injuries in Georgia is the fact that Kirby does not reveal a lot of information. And so therefore, we kind of sometimes go on the basis of what Kirby says, and that makes it seem like injuries are uh, lingering longer. And listen, Kirby's the coach. He's got the prerogative to sort of you know, reveal or withhold whatever information that he wants. This is one of those cases in which he clearly wants to be secretive, and I'm not quite so sure being secretive benefits his game planning very much. I, I just don't know that it does. Maybe it does. I, I, I don't. I don't know that it benefits as much as he seems to want to do it. But the byproduct of this is, I, I do think it leaves a lot of people frustrated because when they hear, "Well, we think so and so could have gone back in the game, and yet two months later they still haven't played," even people who are very pro Kirby, which almost everyone certainly is, and very pro Georgia. Even they started to get a little frustrated of, well, come on now, can you not give me more accurate information than this? And, you know, we're hopeful to get so-and-so back. That's like the kiss of death because the last few guys that we've been hopeful to get back, as Kirby would say it, you know, <laughs> they didn't play for 10 weeks. So I get the frustration. I, I certainly don't believe that Georgia is in any way mishandling injuries. I just think that Kirby Smart likes to undersell the severity of injuries. And he seems to think he has a good reason for doing that. Maybe he has a better reason than I think. I don't think you're fooling the opposition on this very much. Although I guess last week, um, you know, he did sort of spring Jalen Carter on me in a way that I didn't think Carter was going to be ready to do. Maybe at this point, I'm so just accustomed to Kirby downplaying injuries that he has the ability to kind of swerve the other direction now. But uh, I don't think that Georgia's mishandling the injuries. I just don't think that Kirby puts a lot of stock in being forthcoming about the nature of some of these injuries. And then finally, there's this coming from our good friend Ozdog, who says, It was great to finally meet you this past weekend, watching our dogs beat down the lousy, stinking gators in Jacksonville. was worth coming back from Australia. Thanks for all you do, and looking forward to the rest of a great season. So had a chance to meet um, uh, uh, Barrett from uh, Australia there, and boy, what a cool thing that was. Uh, a great, great experience. Um, just really cool to know that Dog Nation's just been kind of stretched out the uh, world over such a fun thing and oz dog here in our dog dog nation comment section uh just really really fun and i was really glad i got a chance to do that and just a great experience so anytime i got a chance to sort of meet georgia fans during a game i'm always happy to do that and J jackson in particular was one of those chances to get to do that uh, a few extra times that was that was really really fun so oz dog glad to see you there as well and to all of you uh good to see you anytime i get that chance and thanks for being here as part of our podcast cool down there as well so find rs andrews online rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs they will show up on time do the work that's promised the price is promised you can trust them on all that today we will see you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by brady pass management we'll look forward to talking to you then